0: this is Shamina. This is a two quick things podcast. So I took a two week break. I didn't announce anything. Maybe I should have, but I didn't. Um, I was actually on vacation out of the country. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, when I talk about some recommendations that I have for a podcast, um, but I was in London, Amsterdam and then Paris and then back to London just for a quick night because um, we flew in and out of London um, in Heathrow Air- at the Heathrow Airport um, people have been asking me like what's your favorite part um, number one high key not being at work so that was great um, and then my favorite of the three places the three major cities we went were or was Amsterdam um, not because I got high because I don't smoke um, nor do I chew things Um, but it was just so calm and relaxing. The weather was similar to the chillier parts of the Bay Area. And I had a chance to walk literally everywhere. I went running on, I think the second, the first or second day that we got there. And I only meant to do two miles. I ended up doing a little bit more than three because I got lost. Um, Everything looked the same. All the stores looked the same. The, before I realized it, I was like way far away from the Airbnb that we were staying with. So that meant I had to do another mile of running. And so I was like, that's probably a sign that you needed to do the mile. So there's that. Um, but it was just, it was really calm and relaxing. People were nice. Uh, no one was snobby and trying to, you know, force us to figure out how to speak Dutch, because I think they speak Dutch there. Um, and it was just, it was relaxing. And the food was good. The Airbnb we stayed in was fatty. We could do laundry there because I don't have laundry in home here, so I love an Airbnb that has to, has laundry um, in the apartment. So it was just a really good, relaxing time, um, save for one experience. But again, I'll talk about that a little bit later. So I am back. Uh, there was an article that I read. Um, I'm in this Facebook group called um, Nonprofit Happy Hour, NPHH, I think and someone had circulated an article and the title of the article is social justice social justice sector has internal racism problems. And so as i read it, and i was like oh this l- doesn't just apply to nonprofits this certainly applies to my experiences in education i would be remiss to think that this is not e- applied to people's experiences in the corporate world so but I get the gist of it. And the person was basically like this group, this group really can't handle this conversation. So I'm just going to post it and then not, you know, respond. And I actually didn't go back to look at any of the other comments, but I was so hit hard and smacked upside the head in my 15, 16 years of professional experience of how true so many of these things that I've read in this article, um, were for me. Um, and so I am obviously not going to regurgitate the article. I will put the link in the show notes so that you can find it. But there are a few things that I wanted to highlight briefly. Um, and this primarily revolves around black women. So around black women leadership, etc. So there are three things that I, I picked up from this article. And I hope you have a chance to read it and share it, because I've certainly shared it like six or seven times with a bunch of, with six or seven people. Um, one, Simply because you, and I will take this obviously the stance from uh, a black, uh, black woman standpoint because that is how I uh, show up in the world. Um, and that's one of the, some of the identifying markers that I have for myself. The first one it means one thing to hire black women, it means a whole other thing to retain black women. So, my small experience with the small, this was a significant experience in my professional career. I was working at a university and There was a year. I think there were ten live-in staff, and five of us were black women, and four of us had come in all at the same, like in the same year. So they, I think, they already had one, and I remember thinking, "Wow, this is great. This is what the hell is this?" And then, uh, then I started to realize and feel like it was we were the year of diversity diversity hires, and they were like, it almost felt like a little like showboaty of like, we have you here, we're going to tout that we have this really diverse staff. But I know, I personally, I didn't feel challenged in that position, and I stayed less than a year because I was like, I am bored. I want to work um, because I like to do work. And there was very little effort to, in my opinion, to retain the black staff that were there. Um, it felt very tokenizing and like we would be invited to meetings and events and whatnot and I was just thinking but why are we being invited to these things we we add color to the photo and that that there was there weren't very many efforts if any at all to retain um the black women that were hired that year and so I know a few of the other black staff stayed which was great but I certainly felt like it was the year of color um in that department which sucked really because I really would have liked to you know and engage and I know I volunteered myself for several things and um for whatever reason I can't you know name the reason nothing happened and I literally spent the nine and a half months that I was there bored as hell and so then I left so there's something like it's great to like want to hire and recommend black women uh Uh, other candidates of color but there's such a crucial piece of retention I can't tell you how to retain staff but bringing them all in and expecting them to like conform or mold into the system that is already that you already have set up that's generally set up around whiteness is not helpful like you're not going to retain staff that way. And you do a disservice to those individuals. And you also do a disservice to your organization, be it, you know, a corporate environment, nonprofit, education, whatever the case may be. You do a disservice to all those folks because you're just bringing it in and you don't really know how to retain. It looks good. It sounds good. It might feel good to be able to tell that. But when people are leaving, that's not helpful. Um, and it really doesn't speak very much to the leadership or the organization if that's the goal of just bringing in people of color, because it's really, really, it's not a, you don't get points for bringing in people of color. We bring value to the table as much and likely more than other folks that you have hired. And we have skill sets and experiences that, um, you're not just going to get from not paying attention to who you hire, but the retention piece is so large, um, Another piece that I have started to do in my career is as a black woman, when I'm in a a space where there are not other many black folks or other black women, I'm asking my leadership, if you can connect me to other people in the industry, in this field, in this community that I can connect with because I I don't wanna pretend like I'm gonna get all that I need from uh, the white folks or the non-black people of color in that organization and it says something to me if you don't have anybody that you can connect me to because that tells me that makes me think hmm if you don't have any black folks or if it's so hard or if I have to keep poking and prodding for you you, like do you have anyone like sure I can go send out some cold emails but that tells me something if somebody in the in a leadership role cannot make that connection for me because what are you doing like who are you working with who are you partnering with so, black women, non-black people of color, ask for your leadership to help you make connections to people in your industry, um, in your organization. If you're in a large, complex organization, ask people to make those introductions. Yes, a cold email is fine, you can certainly do, do that, but sometimes it's nice to have that warm handoff from one person to another, and don't be afraid to ask those things. Um, as I think back over my career, I probably should have asked that sooner, Um, like in the interview process, I mean, like if I join this organization, like what does, what could mentorship look like for me from other black women that, that will probably tell you quite a bit about your experience. And I know it can feel risky to ask that because that's not the crux of everything that you're going to need and do. And they're not going to, you're not going to all of a sudden stop doing your job and only hang with this person. But it's important. And I think leadership teams, regardless of their makeup, their um, racial, sexual orientation, uh, socioeconomic makeup, that's important for them to know that that's something that you value. And if nothing more, it should hopefully light a fire and put a spark under them to begin to think about, like, who can we connect this person to so that they that this um, non-white person feels like they have a connection point somewhere in our community? And if you don't if they don't have that, hopefully that's a pause for them to be like, oh, well. Actually, maybe I should go out there and mix and mingle and that like that strengthens my candidate pool, that strengthens the work that we can do as a community, especially if you're a nonprofit and doing community focused work. Then um, this is the, the last thing um, that I picked up from this and I felt it in my soul. Um, white folks and other non-black people of color. Um, and when I say that, I mean like Asian folks, Latino folks, because there's, I am not, I'm not, I'm black. So there's that. But I think there's a difference in how we show up in that. And I'm not going to get into the, um, any of the theories or um, dialogue, et cetera, around like the model minority myth, et cetera, colorism. That's a whole nother thing. Um, But check your assumptions when you have these, have what are oftentimes unfounded fear of black people. Let me share this two things with you. Um, that means check your bias if you're consistently hearing, literally hearing the black voices around you as aggressive or angry. Um, uh, talk to taking the time to talk to black people about whatever concerns you may have about them or about their perceived tone, tenor, etc. and do not send a spokesperson to come and speak on behalf of a group. So in my 16-some-odd years, there have been two experiences that have stood out to me. One, I recall being in a situation where I was getting—I um, was in an evaluation, and somewhere on the evaluation it said something along the lines of, um, I've gotten feedback that perhaps you could be softer. I said, hmm, first of all, I'm not a pillow, so I'm not going—what so, the hell does soft mean? This is my internal dialogue, obviously. But then I was like, okay, well, let me— let me go ahead and tone police myself and figure out how to, way to say this. So I asked, can you tell me what that means and perhaps can you share with me some examples of where you've seen that come into play? And of course, then I was met with silence. So I just remember thinking, like, my role in this organization is not to come and be this soft pillow and to, like, nuzzle people in my bosom and take care of folks like that. I was hired to do this job, and nowhere in this job description um, or these written or unwritten expectations is my role to be soft. So I said, what I'm not gonna do is sign this document to acknowledge anything. I said, but what I'm gonna do, I was working in a union environment. Um, I said, what I'm gonna do is I'll check with my union rep to see if this is an appropriate um, response or something that can be evaluated since this is not a part of my job description or any written or unwritten expectations that we have discussed as the team, and then I'll get back to you on how I would like to proceed. Do you know less than 24 hours later I had an evaluation that didn't have that in there? Um, and, yes, the supervisor at that time was white, white male. And I said, well, what you won't do is you, you're not going to pin this on me as though I need to be something when that's not a part of the job. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, another one was—so um, that was one experience that made me think— you you better talk to me. and You better come and be specific with examples. Um, and don't give me examples that are six months old because that's bullshit. Cause that means you've been carrying that around for, I don't know how long pussyfooting with the feedback. So I don't know what you think I'm going to do. If you give me like unfavorable feedback, um, that is warranted and that you can back that shit up with evidence and like examples. You think I'm going to set it off? Like, I mean, I love the movie, but I'm not Queen Latifah, I'm not Jada Pinkett Smith, Kimberly Elise, or Vivica Fox, so I'm not gonna do that. Um, But what I'm I'm gonna come in? I'm gonna come with the shits, like I'm gonna come with the stuff, Um, because what you won't do is put all in anything down on paper and just think I'm a sign off on it and agree with it if I don't. Um, And so even I'm sure even the way that I said that now will probably like raise hairs on the folks uh, on the backs of some people, and I'm like. I'm not sure how to best support you and you going through your feelings. So perhaps it's it's best that we take a break. Anywho, the other one was at one point in my career, I became aware that there was a meeting that had happened and, um, my, I, I was working on like kind of developing and streamlining some processes and one process in particular that I knew was going to be impactful for people and I knew, and I had been asking questions like, tell me about this. And I said, okay, I understand that this is going to ruffle some feathers and people are going to, um, as much as I hear people saying, like, we want structure and we we want, like, a container to, to, like, move forward in this for some consistency, equity, to minimize bias, et cetera, we need, you know, somebody to kind of cull this and bring this all together. So I'm doing that. You said you wanted action. I'm giving you action. Thoughtful action that I've asked about, that you've given feedback, and then, I'm hearing from some third party in a meeting that they all discussed me and my approach. So two questions came to mind that I don't have answers to. One, why were you so comfortable sitting in and just being a fly on the wall in the conversation, third party? Thank you for telling me, though, I appreciated it, but what did you do to back me up? Because you know the intent of what I'm doing with this. So that was the first part. And the second part is, in all that, no one has, Had or has come to me to ever talk to me about that thing. That they sat around in a room, I'm not gonna tell you the makeup of the people that were sitting around in the room, but sitting around in the room talking about this shit. And I'm, nobody says anything to me. And I'm not saying it needs to be some sort of confrontational thing, but like, if you have a concern after I told you this stuff was already gonna be challenging and difficult. I told you it was gonna be that. I told you there would be a point at which you do not like me because I am going to push us to have a level of consistency. I told you that from the beginning. <laughs> and you thought that was that you could handle that. And now here we are. I'm sitting around, y'all sitting around talking. And I know some of the specifics of what you said because the person took notes. So I appreciate the, the note taking piece, but I'm like, again, why were you so comfortable sitting there listening to that? And what did you do to back me up? So we are not scary. Um, I have a life that, you know, we, I have a life that exists outside of an organization and the job that I am compensated for and paid for because I would not be doing this for free. I have not found the thing in my life that I would be, I'm so like ride or die to do for free. I haven't found that yet. That, that thing hasn't found me yet either. Or I just perhaps haven't figured out a way to monetize um, the things that I really like to do, but that's neither here nor there, but we're not scary. What are you afraid of? Um, are human beings treat us as such, um, because when you don't, those are the times when we leave organizations because we don't feel like we're getting the support that we deserve or that is equitable across the board. So just a few things that popped up for me in this article. Again, the title of it is Social Justice Sector Has Internal Racism Problems. Um, good read, quick read, share it, let me know what your thoughts are, um, cause I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one. So there's that. Um, But I'd love to hear what other people have experienced with that um, and how that's shown up for you. Or at least hopefully it's it's bringing up dialogue for you to have with your friends or whatever. So um, we're going to move right on to the recommendations. I've got 2 I've got a movie and I've got a, a, um, a podcast. So the movie first one um, the movie, it's a Netflix movie, it's a four-part original movie, um, it's called When They See Us, it's the story about the Central Park Five, also now known as the Exonerated Five, that was written, directed, etc., cetera, by um, Ava DuVernay, and when I tell you this is masterful, like, the whole thing, it's emotional, it is masterful, it is, the actors did a fantastic job acting in it, um. It draws you in. Um, I watched it while on vacation in the four parts because it's it was too hard to watch each part what, like all together because it's about four, four episodes and they're about an hour, 10 to an hour and, and a half. And it covers the story of the Central Park Five, which are five young black and brown men in 1989 that were wrongfully uh, accused and incarcerated for um, rape, uh, and a few other things related to the Central Park jogger, who, um, later you find out in the series what her name is, Trisha Miley, I believe, but it was, it, it was such a difficult thing to watch, and it was so necessary, because thi- this is what happened, past tense, what happens, current, And what will continue to happen with this, um, bias, unjust, um, justice system, um, if we want to call it that. And it will tear you up. I, the things that these young men and their families went through, because when, when people go to jail and when they're incarcerated, it's not just them, it's their families that are impacted by it as well. And it gives more of the story than what you saw. So I, I I then followed up after I watched that, I watched, um, A twenty twenty special that was like seven parts or something like that. There were small parts; they were like ten minutes or less, and all it did was capture like all the court stuff, all of the things um, related to the prosecuting attorneys and the assistant DA and how full of shit they were, having no physical evidence that goes along with this. Um, with these uh, allegations yet these young men were carcer- incarcerated from anywhere between six and twelve and a half years and basically expected to say that they did something that there was no evidence and they have clearly stated that they did not do and the, bu- the movie captures it so su- in such a difficult heart space that you can do nothing but feel for these young men and their families now they're all in their 40s or 40s or so and they're out here Um, telling their story and it's it's amazing to see where they are now so that's my first recommendation Um, my second one and I am long this is gonna be apparently a long episode my second recommendation is um, rants and randomness with lovey ajayi her podcast which I love and there was an episode she did a bonus episode called passport privilege is real and she goes through and talks about how having a blue u.s. passport is so powerful and really has it stands up like as one of the best i think like one of the top five or ten passports that get you into over 180 some odd countries usually with without fanfare without you know difficulty when there's so many countries that have passports that one of the reasons that people may not travel is because their passport is going to land them in like you know extra screen security or won't let them through or they have to pay extra amounts of money to be able to go through Go through security or get into a specific country. And while traveling, I, <clears throat> number one, I never forget that I'm black um, and masculine presenting. And I, when I first, when we first got to London, my passport didn't go through. And I, I sometimes forget, like, oh, yes, I certainly have this blue passport that, you know, is so revered acro- around the world. It's like, oh, it's America, the USA, well, uh, no. high key we have our own shit but i forget sometimes like i'm still black and so there are times when um i will forget and let my wife go first um through her passport because i don't know that she's ever been stopped for her passport like in all the travels that we've had i don't think she's ever i can't think of a time where she's been stopped um but i get it more often than not or i get the look like the shitty look from the person who is behind the the passport thing or they they scrutinize mine a little bit more, or they they will ask me more questions they will ask me questions, period, and they will ask me more intense questions in like in a, in a bit of an aggressive manner, and <coughs> um, <coughs> excuse me that's not even emotion, sorry, I was just coughing, but there the episode was so real about like the privilege of having a passport and what that gives you. And the ability for people who have passports and then, you know, have obviously some funds and means to be able to travel and see the world um, and with a pretty strong confidence that you're going to make it back alive and well and that you're not going to get detained and that you're not going to, you know, be ruffled up or your personal items be ruffled up or gone through um, or you held hostage by... um, any sort of other foreign security. So it was just a really good episode and put things into perspective. And I listened to this before I traveled, and I was like, oh, let me, I have to remember those things. Of We have to rem- remember that I should go first so that my wife can see where I end up going if I get taken away somewhere. Thank God that that's never happened. Um, but it's just those small things that we don't even think about as we move through the world because we're like, oh, it's a blue passport, it's fine. Even with the blue passport, like, I still get questions, I still get looks, I still get, like, um, this sounds weird, but, like, an aggressive stamp where she just gets a regular stamp. And I'm like, why were they looking at me like this? Like, what, what, what is this about? Um, but it was just, it was a really good episode, and it, it puts a number of things into thought, Um, and it makes, it made me personally feel really appreciative of, um, being able to move about the world with significantly more freedom than people who, you know, you're born into a country and you don't have the say of whether or not like the rest of the world likes your country or whoever is in the leadership in your country is not going to be a bitch about things. Um, I'm cussing a lot this episode, lots on my mind but it was just a really thoughtful episode and it reminded me not to take things for granted like being able to travel and move about the world in um given ways so yeah i will tag both the um the netflix special or the Netflix movie and the podcast in the show for y'all to check out at your leisure um that's it i went long this time Thank you for listening. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm more on Instagram. I look at that a lot more. Um, But you can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and a few others. If you're listening to it now, you clearly know how to find it. So holla at me, slide in my DMs, and I will catch y'all next time. Bye.